Well, this morning, I want to take a few moments and I want to impart to you something that I believe is an incredible principle. In fact, if I were to share with you probably one of the most important principles that you could ever know or learn in your life as far as being a Christian, it would be this principle. Now, we got six points on your little list, and we're probably not going to make all six, so you're going to have to come back to finish out that principle. We're just going to maybe just jump into a little bit this morning. But I believe this is a, a principle that will determine whether or not you're going to make it to the end or not. Isn't it's that important of a principle? I, I, I don't know, uh, so how many NASCAR race fans we have here? Raise your hand, NASCAR people in the house. Come on. How many Dale Earnhardt Jr. race car fans we got? Well, look, we got some Earnhardt Jr. fans. So in 2011, Memorial Day, Dale Hart Jr. hadn't won a race in 105 races, Dale Hart Jr. He's got his Chevrolet really, really tuned down. It's, 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 it is flying around the track. Coca-Cola 600. And he is about to win this race. The fans are going ecstatic. He's got his car wrapped in the National Guard. He's being sponsored by the National Guard. So it's obviously fitting that he would win the you know, race on Memorial Day. And the, he's coming around. It's about two laps left. He's, they're on a caution flag, and um, they're restarting the race to the final lap. And he is put the pedal to the metal. It's an amazing race. I just want to, I'm going to show you exactly what happened. Can we just go ahead and show what happened Memorial Day 2011? How many people ever get to go to church and watch a NASCAR race at the same time? you got to love this place. I'm telling you, this is awesome. Man. You're going to go home and tell your friends, we watched NASCAR church today. Come on. <laughs> but the, what's so amazing about, he had this thing won. It was in the bag. He was, he was, he, what did he say? He said, he says he's got this thing scooting down the track. He was flying past everybody. He was on the verge of the final lap, winning it, heads down. It was all his race to lose. And what does he do? He runs out of fuel. The most important principle I can tell you this morning is that if you are going to run the race, you better run the race to finish the race. Every last, I have two fears in my life. One fear is that I will die and never have, have used up every last bit of talent and resources that God gave me. And the second fear is that I would run the race, even as Paul would have said, and at the very end, somehow crash and burn. Those are healthy fears, I believe. I don't lay in bed awake at night crying about it. But I believe that there's something inside of us if you know Jesus, if you come to know him as your Lord and Savior, there's got to be something inside of you that says, I am going to finish the race. In fact, Paul would say it in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have what? Kept the faith. I'm talking to, this morning, I believe, some fighters here 
I believe I'm talking to some finishers here. I'm talking to some people that know how it is to keep the faith. I have played racquetball for kind of a hobby to get some exercise. We have one of the guys in our church. He's a very great racquetball player. We were playing a few weeks ago, and he beat me six straight games in a row. I felt it was my job to make sure that he always felt encouraged. <laughs> and we decided to play one more game. And that last game, I beat him. I beat him one game out of seven. We came out of the racquetball course, my head's held high, my chest is out. We're exhausted, we're spent, and I said, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. I don't, I'm not sure he saw it that way, but it, but it is important how you finish. Every runner that's run a marathon, 26.2 miles, and we got some marathon runners in the house, will tell you that there is literally a wall that you run into at mile 20 to 22. And some say, well, it's just a mental thing. Well, yes, it is a little bit, but it's even more physical. At mile 20 to 22, if you've been clipping along at a good pace, at that point, no matter how well-trained you are, you have used up every last carbohydrate that you have in your body. You have no more fuel. Your body has run out of fuel to finish the last five or six miles you have left to run. And at that point, it is almost like when you're running, you're thinking to yourself, the worst decision I could ever make is to is to pick up my foot and make one more step. This is insane. Every runner will tell you at that point, something goes on, literally they can graph your time, and when it comes to mile 20, 22, it starts to go down, because something happens when you, your body has no more fuel left. And at that point, the body says, we gotta have fuel. If you're gonna keep taking steps, we gotta have fuel. And it starts tipping, tipping and tapping into the fat cells. And for some of you, that be, should be no problem. Come on, somebody. You'd be like, I could run this thing for 50 miles. But for the trained runner, that's very difficult. He has a little bit of fat, but not all that. And, and so he's now pulling on reserves. It's not meant to be used for these kind of exercises. And, and so he literally hits this wall, and every muscle in his body is saying, stop, don't go any further. You're done. Turn it all in. This was a bad idea. Go back home. Get some rest. This is foolish. What are you thinking? But some, something has to happen in your mind where you say, I don't care what my body says. I don't care what my muscles are feeling. I'm picking it up one more time. I'm going through this wall and I'm going to make it to the finish line. Do we have any finishers in the house this morning? Come on. Do we have any finishers in the house? I love to talk to people who have maintained their spiritual fervor and love for God throughout their entire life. They're not... A whole lot of them sometimes, are, they're, they're getting fewer and fewer, it seems. And now I'm finding that I'm becoming that person. But I love to talk to those people that are seasoned. And they've been in this race for a long time. 
And I like to pull them to the side and I like to ask some questions. I like to ask some questions like, what's been your hardest battle you've ever faced in your spiritual walk with God? What's been the biggest struggle you've ever had? What's the greatest miracle you've ever experienced? What's the greatest lesson you've ever learned? What is something, my friend, that you know that I don't know that I need to know? What's the greatest thing you've ever seen God do in your life? What are some pitfalls that I need to be careful of? I believe it's good to ask questions. And when you're around seasoned, wise people, Proverbs says you need to get some wisdom. You need to ask some questions because if you're going to finish this thing out, you need to be surrounded and know what you're getting yourself into. And so I I, I want to encourage you this morning to listen tightly to what I'm saying because I believe we're going to be able to share some things This is going to allow you not to be Dale Hart Jr in this example, but to be someone that finishes the race uh, and you got fuel to spare and everyone is celebrating your win, that you go through your entire life on task, on purpose, on point, and you finish what God intended for you to start to begin with. Can you say amen to that, church? Come on. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, tap him on the shoulder, look him in the eye, smile, and say, you need to pay attention. This is for you. Come on. So let me give you a backdrop, then we're going to read the text this morning. Maybe the backdrop was about to happen. David has been prophesied over by the great prophet Samuel that he will be the next king of Israel, even though no one else has any clue who this guy is. He's a little, you know, ruddy-looking guy out in the field, stinking, smelling like sheep. Samuel recognizes the anointing of God upon his future, upon his life. He will be the next king of Israel. He shares that with him, anoints him to be the next king of Israel. David begins at that point to ascend, and he kills bears, and he kills lions out in the field, and eventually kills Goliath. And man, things are really looking good. And, and, and Saul brings him into the palace. He, David ends up marrying the king's daughter, and, and um, David's given a place in the palace, and he gives uh, given authority over a little army even. He's in the, in the palace playing music to the king. Everything's going well until Saul hears the people out in the streets uh, singing songs. Uh, Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And suddenly jealousy rises up into the heart of Saul. And he says, oh no, this isn't a gift. This is a threat. I need to eliminate my threat. And he takes this javelin, a spear, and at dinner time, throws it at David to kill him, to, van- to vanquish his threat. And David, realizing it's probably not good to have dinner with somebody that's trying to kill you, decides to get out of town. And he makes his way, and from that point, even though his life was going like this, suddenly his life begins to go like this. You can read it in your, in your scripture. And then he says, I got to survive. I got to somehow make a, I got to make a living. I'm out here running from a, a man that's trying to kill me because that's what Saul began to do. He tried to track him down. He wanted to eliminate this threat. And so David's got a little side hustle going on and he begins to be um, this kind of guy that protects all the farmer's property and in turn for bread and, and sustenance. And, and so he, and then other people find out about David and his side hustle going on. They want to join him. And problem is they're all full of problems. They, they're in distress, they're discouraged, they're in debt. And, and yet David turns them into this kind of really cool army of guys and the Bible even describes them and the great exploits that they would do and how courageous they were and how much they loved David and, and goes on to talk about that. And so 
So anyway, they're out there doing their thing, and they decide it's time to go home. They, they're going back to their home. Their home is in Ziklag. Everybody say Ziklag. So they go back to home. It's always good when you've, when you've been out a while to go back home. You know, there's nothing like your own bed. You can go everywhere you want, but there's nothing like your own bed. There's nothing like coming home and, and your wife meeting you at the door and kissing you, come on, and rub, greeting you and, and your kids running up and telling them how much they miss you and how great a person you are. Your wife taking you to the recliner and starts rubbing your feet. Come on, somebody. You can, you can fantasize a little bit. I mean, it's okay. You can dream a little bit. But there's nothing like coming home. There's nothing like coming home. And so Ziklag is home. And so David and his family's there. His kids are there. And all of his guys, man, they're, they're just, they're, I can see them riding their horses. I mean, they're like, the closer they get to home, one of them's like, I can't stand it. I can't trot anymore. I got to, we got to gallop. We got to go full force. And, and they're coming up over the horizon. And, and as their dust is coming up behind them, as they're nearing their home, they don't see the children running out to meet them like typically they would or their wives coming out to the door to greet them as they normally would as the heroes that they were. They see instead smoke billowing up into the sky, and as they get closer, they notice uh, that what was once their home has now been burnt to the ground, uh, and what once was the place uh, where their family lived uh, was no sign of life, uh, and they, as they came up upon this destruction, what was their home was now gone. They're rubbing, they're going back into their home, and it's nothing but ashes, and they pick up a, a photograph of half-charred, a picture of him, him and his wife and family, and another a guy picks up from the rubble a little, a little doll and another toy over there, and suddenly the Bible says that they're overwhelmed by what they saw. And at this point, David's life had gone like this, and now <clears throat> he is at rock bottom. We're looking at the lowest point of David's life. What he does in this moment will determine what comes after. Just let that sink in for just a minute. There are very strategic moments in every person's Christian walk with God that are not just happenstance, it just didn't happen to happen. That God perhaps even allowed it to some degree, perhaps to see what is actually in your heart. And even more, what will you do in a moment like this? What's going to come out of you? Because how can God give the keys of the kingdom of Israel, the greatest nation, will, will become the greatest nation at some point in the world? How can God literally hand over the keys of the kingdom? How can God give this man authority? How can God give this man influence? How can God give this man resources if he does not know what he will do when everything has been turned against him? Oh, this is good. And you need to know and you need to be ready because if you do not do the right thing in this moment, then you'll be like this guy with one lap left to go and you don't have anything in your tank. In fact, some will turn their back on God and they will curse him and they will walk away from him and they will walk away even from their faith. 
And they will conjure up some excuse that maybe what they believed their whole life was just in their imagination. So what will you do when everything has gone wrong? And what will you do when every dream is now dead? And what will you do when every friend has turned against you? And how will you respond when everything you've tried to do will not work? And you haven't been doing wrong. You haven't been trying to, you know, hurt God. You've just been trying to just live for the Lord and still not clicking. It's not working. God needed to know what's in this man's heart. But Ziklag had to come. Let's look at chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, chapter 30, 1 Samuel, verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Isn't this interesting already? I, I find that everything in the Bible is significant. We'll come back to that. And now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked the Ziklag, burned it, taking captive the women, everyone else in it, both young and old. Killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. And when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Have you ever wondered how you can be winning on the outside and losing on the inside? How you could be the president of the company out there and everybody loves you, but you come home and your wife can't stand you. Or the kids don't want to have nothing to do with you. Isn't that strange? You're great out there, and then you come home and everything's burnt down. Mm. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. We're not talking about wimpy, emotional metro men. We're talking about pure redneck Alabama guys. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about deer slayers, fishermen, mechanics, you know, strong men in the gym. We're talking about guys that, you know, eat the bones. They don't spit out the bones. They suck the heads from the crawfish. They, 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 they're men. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. These are men. These are strong men. These are men that don't wear their emotions on their sleeve. These are, these are like, like, the, like, the, like the, the heaven's angels. I mean, they got the black, the black leather pants and the, and the black vest with the no-sleeve shirt on. Come on, with the red headband. And they got a beard. They got tobacco coming down off their lips, out of the, come right down there on the beard. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? That's not red hair. That's a red tobacco streak. That's what that is. We're talking about men that would just assume knock you out and to, to tell you how they feel. And they're coming over the horizon, and they're, they're coming to their home. And, and the Bible says, you read it. And they all begin to weep aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Imagine if you could, a group of hell's angels on their hands and knees, 
And they're weeping and crying, and they're like holding their bellies, weeping and groaning and moaning. Nothing's coming out of their mouth. They're just in pain. I, this is like, this is like crazy. They'd lost everything. They'd already been in trouble and distress and dead and, and discouraged, but now they kind of had a little breath of life, a little wind that come underneath their sails, and things were starting to come together again. They, they got their family back together, got their kids on their team now. Everything was starting to click, and, and now it's just like wiped away, and they don't even know where they're at. They don't even know if they died. They don't even know where to go to get them. They, they don't know anything. All they know is that everything is gone. Everything they worked for is gone. Gone. What do you do when everything is gone? I feel the Holy Spirit here. What do you do when you can not cry anymore? When the things you've loved the most have been taken from you? Hmm. David was greatly distressed as well. I mean, typically men at this point just look for something to punch, right? When, typically when men like this, hardened guys like this, can't figure out what to do, they find a wall to hit. Come on. They find some door to put their hand through. They find some locker to, to slam against. They're, they, they, they're, they're, they're like, what in the world? And, and so they start thinking, well, you know what, if, if it hadn't been for David, we wouldn't be in this mess. So someone's going to have to pay for this. And so they begin talking about stoning David. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Can I tell you, David did not see this one coming. It wasn't like David was like, hey, well, I figured this was going to happen at some point. So I got a strategy here. I got a plan. I think I know exactly what to do here. No, the enemy never plays like that. Typically when he shows up and steals everything you have, it's all of a sudden. It's not like slow progress. It's all of a sudden. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you got to find strength. As one person said, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. And then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought it to him. David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed and rescue. Can I tell you that God still answers prayer when you're under pressure? Isn't that good to know? Yeah. So I'm gonna give you quickly, I was gonna give you six things. I'll give you a couple things that you need to know to finish the race. Six things you need to know to finish the race. Number one, you need to expect in your lifetime, you're going to like this, seasons of stretching. Don't shout me down. That's okay. You don't have to say amen. 
David and his men reached the Ziklag. Verse 1, they reached Ziklag on the third day. Now, can, let me just say this. The Old Testament is a picture of everything that Jesus was going to do. You can find Jesus in every story of the Old Testament. If you look for Jesus in the Old Testament, you'll find Jesus, and that's what makes the Old Testament come alive. If you're just reading the Old Testament for a, a historical narrative or some kind of um, storybook type of uh, fantasy, or not fantasy, a story to tell your kids, then you know it can be rather boring over time. But when you find Jesus in all of it, everything comes alive. Is it by accident that he shows up at Ziklag on the third day? Why didn't he show up on the second day? Why not the fourth day? How about the tenth day? But no, it's the very specifically that David, which is symbolic of Jesus in the Old Testament, David is symbolic of Jesus. In fact, Jesus would be described as the son of David. Uh, he, he would come along and fulfill the symbolic form of David being king. Jesus would be the king. And, and so Jesus, symbolic of David in this sense, arrives, come on, on the third day. Third, now how many know we just come off Easter, three is very significant. What happened on the third day in Jesus' life? Yes, we got it, the resurrection. And on the third day, I want you to know that there can be and there will be and there was in Jesus' life a resurrection. When everything looks dead, when Jesus enters the picture on the third day, there will be a resurrection. There will be new life breathed into a dead situation. So what David was realizing, even though he was traveling into a devastated situation, here's the good news, it's on the third day. And, and I believe probably even something inside of David was like, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I feel a little hope. I don't know why I feel hope, but there's got to be hope. Jesus would come along and let us know, oh, there's always hope on the third day. That's the fulfillment. In fact, the word, in fact, the, the third day or the number three means perfect testimony, the number three is the perfect witness or a perfect testimony. When you've got three people witnessing against you, it's called the perfect testimony. And what David was beginning to understand, that God is raising up a people with a perfect testimony. I'm telling you what, here in this morning, in this house, there are people that God's hand is upon, and he's raising you up to be a perfect testimony in this hour in the kingdom and for the kingdom of God. A testimony, something that has something to say to prove that something really did happen, that something exists. You call a witness, and what witness does what? He gives a testimony. What are you testifying about? The greatness and the goodness of God. People look at you and they say, what you're going through, and they, here's what they say. They should say, you know what? I can't believe what they're going through, but I tell you what, there's gotta be a God. I mean, I mean I'm, no one could have that much joy in their life going through what they're going through. I don't know what to say other than they're either they're insane or there's got to be a God. People will look at you and say, no one can make it through what you're going through and still keep their right mind. No one could love someone as mean as that person. No one could hold their tongue like you are holding your tongue when everyone's slandering you and hating you and, 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 and writing all sorts of false things on Facebook and social media about you and you hold your tongue and you bless them in turn. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
I was at a little picnic yesterday. One of our um, one of our neighbors here, uh, right here in the neighborhood, they had a, a big uh, crawfish boil. That's why I was th- thinking about sucking the heads and stuff. But anyway, um, and so it's fresh on my mind. And and uh, they they had a they had a he had, he has uh, two daughters and their their sons. And the, and uh, I walked up and just to say hi and introduce myself. And uh, and I didn't know. I said, hey, what y'all doing? And there's four of them. They're all there, and they kind of looked like this. And they said, oh, we're praying. I'm like, what? What are we praying about? What's going on? And, and, uh, and this girl, she was so cute. She said, um, I just had a real negative thought, and I realized I need to take it, my, my mind captive. And I, so I just told everyone just to pray right now. I'm going to take this thought captive, and I'm going to turn it into a faith thought. I'm like, I don't know who you are, but I like you. I like you. No one, no one could have this much peace as you have in this kind of a situation. What's going on? It's called a perfect testimony. That's what it's called. And here's the deal. He arrives on the third day to Ziklag. Ziklag. I robbed my granddaughter's toy chest today. Because ziklag means winding, winding. Isn't that a crazy name? So I get picked this up. We a little pirate, a little pirate, and so we just keep turning it, winding it, winding it, winding it until you can't wind it anymore. And look at this. Or you got this guy, a little scuba driver. Don't tell my granddaughter I got all of her toys. And you wind it, and you wind it, and you wind it, and you wind it. That's what Ziklag is. It's a place where you're wound up. Some of you are like, I'm wound up tiring a tick right now. I don't know what that's all about. But a perfect testimony will come from a person who knows what it's been like to be wound up. Well, listen, if you're looking for a cushy life and a life where there's no pressure and there's no stretching and there's no winding, well, you know what? I don't, I'm not sure how powerful your testimony is going to be, but I feel like I'm talking to some people that have been wound up before. We have any wound up people come on in the house this morning. You know what I'm talking about? Come on. A little witness here, a little wound up people. And the people that, that, that have been stretched, the people that know what it's like to, 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 to be wound you know, listen, a woman, she's pregnant. She gets enlarged and she's what? Stretched. She even has marks, some would say, from proof that she's been stretched. A perfect testimony will come from a person that's been stretched by God. Romans chapter 8 says it like this, verse 22 in the Message Bible. All around us, 
We observe a pregnant creation. And the difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply nothing but birth pains. So when you look at the news and you go, oh my goodness, everything's getting so bad. Oh, Jesus has got to be coming any moment. Well, okay, I don't know about all that, but I know what this says. That the difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pains. Something's being birthed. What's being birthed? It's only around us. It's, it's, it's not only around us, it's within us. It's, so, the, so the writer of Romans is saying, quit looking out there of all the, 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 the bad things. Start looking at what God's doing in here because the Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also, we are also, he says, feeling the birth pains. What is going on in the world is nothing more than a reflection or a picture of what really should be happening inside of you. People go, man, did you hear about that earthquake? Did you hear about this, that, this, that, that? Well, you know what? Is there an earthquake inside of you? There should be an earthquake in you. Is your earthquaking? These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. A, a pregnant mother, I, my wife, we, we've gone through this three times and I've never mem- remember her going, oh, I just, I just, I don't like feeling big. I mean, I, I just, I wish I would have never gotten pregnant. I wish this thing inside of me would quit, you know, hitting and bouncing and kicking inside of me. No, she, she's like, oh, look, look, look. She, put your hand right here. Yeah, 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 yeah. How'd you feel? Yeah, yeah. We have all this wonderful little joy. Why? Because we are waiting, but as we're waiting, there is an an expectation happening inside of us. It it goes on. It says we are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. I'm talking that God is putting an expectancy inside of you. Hey, this stretching that you're going through, you're being wound up. Let me tell you something, sweetheart. This winding has a purpose. It's called Ziklag. And if you get this thing right, uh, everything else is coming down the line. And it's going to be a blessing for your future. I promise you that. It's a joyful expectancy. And your joy has got to match your stretching. Let me say that again. Your joy has to match your stretching. If you're complaining all the way through, you're stretching, then you're not expecting. I think y'all must have checked out because that was a really good point. <laughs> you know, like, uh, wind this thing up again. I like that. <sighs> Let me say it one more time. If you're complaining through your stretching, then you're not expecting. Amanda, you might want to come on up because I don't even think we're going to make point number two. This guy won't stop shaking. Would you just take that for me? Thank you. Sorry, it's a bad throw. Here's the good news. The winding, the stretching is not only producing a joyful expectancy, 
but it is causing a perfect testimony to take place from your life. So my question is, what stretches you? What winds you up? What winds you up? Lack of finances? Laying in bed at night worrying about where the money's going to come from? Tense? Everything you say is like on edge. People don't know how to act around you because you're, you're, so, you're so wound up. Your six-month-old won't sleep during the night. You haven't had any sleep. You're sleep-deprived. You're wound up. Your mother-in-law is all up in your business. Oh, I'm up in your house this morning. I'm, I walked into your kitchen. The boss you have, no matter how hard you try, you can never please him. He doesn't seem to know how to give a compliment to save his life. You stayed up all night long just so he could have that presentation. He doesn't even say thank you. Your employee is trying your patience down to the last nerve. You don't even want to go into work because you, you don't want to have to deal with that employee. Your coach rags on you at every practice. She's yelling at you up in your face, grabbing your face masks. Your teacher gets on to you and seems like only on you, no one else in the class. Everyone else seems to be perfect except you. Has even said things like, why are you so stupid? What do you do with these things? What do you do when all of life is hitting you and you just basically want to put your head in the sand and make it all go away? Well, that's what many people do. They, they jump to some kind of relief, some kind of an addiction, some kind of a habit, something that will give them a temporary relief. But that's all it is. It's temporary. Can I just propose to you another possibility that perhaps God has put you in this position because he wants you to begin to learn how to do what David did? Because when you come to the time of stretching and winding, there's some things that you need to learn how to do. And if you will do these things, great things will come your way, I promise you. Come on. You think maybe that might be a better solution? I do. No one, Luke chapter 5, pours new wine into an old wineskin. Well, how come? What's wrong with an old wineskin? An old wineskin has already been stretched. New wine has to ferment and it grows. And if you put something that's growing and in, in something that refuses to grow anymore, you will have a busted wineskin. So if you're going to put new wine into a wineskin or a container that will hold it, you've got to put it in a container that will also stretch with the Holy Spirit, the new wine that's inside of you. God has given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is active, is growing, it's alive, and he's stretching. And you've got to stretch with us, sweetheart. And you're going to go home today and you're going to be like, stretch me, God, stretch me. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Because your stretching is creating capacity within you to hold more. <laughs> 
there, years ago, back in the 90s, in the early 2000s, we would have these altar calls. And there was a couple songs we'd, we'd sing, and people would come and they would go, more God, more, 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 more God, more, more God, more, more. We want more, more God. And I'm like, do you have a clue what you're asking? Basically what you're saying is, Stretch me, God. Stretch me. Stretch me. Twist me. Stretch me. Twist me. Stretch me. Twist me. Just, come on, God. But no, we just say one more. No, listen. More only comes when you go like this. You can't go like this. More, God, and God go. Okay, yeah. No, more means you got to grow. And God uses people. God uses situations. God puts you in places where you have to test and try and test your faith. We put you in situations where things look absolutely impossible. And then more comes. Then more comes. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me this morning. This morning, I think there's a few that are in Ziklag now. Perhaps everything has burnt to the ground. Your relationships have gone sour. Your friends have turned on you. And the question I ask you, is it time? Perhaps is this not the day for you to say, you know what? I'm going to allow this life I've been living to turn me around. And I'm coming to Christ. I'm going to surrender my life to the Lord. I can't do this without him. This is too much for me to handle. In a room this size, I'm sure there's got to be some people that feel like it's time to surrender their life to the Lord. So I asked you this simple question this morning. Would you, would you invite him into your heart? Would you surrender your life to his? Would you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Father God, be my Lord and Savior forever. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you would say, Pastor JP, today I want to make that decision. I'm not going to call you out of your seat, but I want to pray for you right where you're at in your seat. Would you say, Pastor JP, that's me. Would you raise your hand all across the room? I want to know Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. Yes, I see that in the very back. Yes, yes. I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes, over my right, that hand and that hand. I want Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I want to turn my life over to him. Amen, amen. Anybody else? Come on. This is my day. I'm making a turn today. Yeah. I want to say a prayer for you that are have lifted your hand and I'm actually going to ask you to repeat. I would call it a sinner's prayer. It's simply an invitation for him to come into your life. In fact, I would ask all of us to join together and, and pray this prayer together. Would you all join me? Would you say this prayer? Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for running away from you. So I give you full control. 
My life is now yours. Be the Lord of my life. Now thank you for hearing my prayer and coming into my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. For those that raised your hand and prayed that prayer, perhaps you wanted to raise your hand, but you didn't, but you prayed that anyway. Outside, we have a little tent. We have a little signage out there. We have a couple little tabletops. We want to give you a free Bible. And we want to give you some materials as well to allow you to begin to read and connect you. And we want to invite you to our journey class, which starts next Sunday morning after our service. I want you to come and let us get to know you. Let us talk to you about what it is to be a believer of Jesus Christ. For everybody else in this room this morning, I want to say another prayer for you as well. It's all right. Don't worry about the people moving around. They're going to their places. They want to welcome you as you leave. I want to say a prayer for you because you've been through a time of winding, perhaps even stretching. But as we learn here from David's life, there's incredible power at Ziklag. If we get it right, there's incredible things that will happen in our life. So let me pray for you as well. Father God, I thank you for Ziklag. We thank you, Lord God, for those moments in our life where things don't seem to make sense. We thank you that even though everything looks like it's burnt down around us, you have never left us. We thank you that even in the midst of the charred destruction of what we thought once was our happy place, that out of it, Lord God, of the smolders and the ruins, you're going to bring resurrection life and a perfect testimony for all to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Can you give God some praise this morning? Can we do that? Come on, let's give it up for Jesus this morning.